Hey everybody. Hello. Welcome back to Wandering Into Wellness. Uh, your usuals, Finn and Lydia. And today we are very, it was an odd pointy thing. Today we have, we're, we're really, really uh, delighted to be joined uh, by Dr. Sarah Hunt, who is a functional medicine doctor who, uh, an area that we're both giddy about because it's that beautiful blending of, of, of the, the like traditional kind of medicine practice and also then nutrition and all this amazing kind of like in an in innovative kind of side of medicine which is like frontiers uh sort of edge stuff where you're looking at genetic health and all these sorts of amazing things so for us we wanted to get sarah on because we've been hounded by people to talk about fertility and we know that sarah you are an expert in this area right yeah well i've um, been learning about fertility for a while and in terms of functional medicine fertility is a really really interesting area because I think um, from the general medical perspective, you know, there's this whole area of unexplained infertility. And I think that's where functional medicine can really um, shine and maybe shed light. Okay, so like, I'd say maybe just for as a first off, can you give us an idea of what you think are the, like the overarching things that are underlying that those, those big infertility issues that are, that, are, that are growing, really growing, right? Yeah. Um, absolutely, yeah. So as you just mentioned there, um, infertility is um, increasing definitely and quickly, as you said. So um, some estimates are suggesting that even in the next very short term, like 10 to 20 years, maybe even one in four couples will be struggling with infertility, which is just a huge number, you know, and that's different from not that long ago. Um, and there's lots of studies showing that that's not just a female fertility um, issue, which is what I generally speak about because I love women's health, um, but also sperm counts are dropping. And um, I think it's definitely multifactorial. But in terms of female fertility, which is what I uh, really am interested in, the main things really would be things like um, PCOS might be underlying or thyroid health issues might be underlying or endometriosis. Um, you could also have structural issues. So actual problems with the structures inside the body with the womb or the ovaries. Um, and then there's more subtle things like just a nutrient deficiency of one kind or another or stress is absolutely huge. Um, or yeah, all of those things can lap over each other and intermingle and, and lead to infertility. And really why I love the topic of infertility is because I see fertility just as a marker of health. So I'm interested in regenerating health and encouraging people to be as healthy as they can be so that they can be happy and live well. And fertility is one measure of health for women and yeah. men. This is not just to be clear to everyone, a guidance to go out and see if you can have a baby just to see if you're healthy. <laughs> children are more than just for Christmas but but nonetheless it's a really interesting marker like you say it's getting into that underlying endocrine system stuff the hormone crossover between our stress hormones like you're talking about and fertility hormones I remember one of the big road to Damascus moments I had around health around stress and, and fertility particularly was when I, I I heard that cortisol and progesterone came from the same root hormone yeah and then when we're when we're we're essentially under chronic stress which a lot of us I like most of us maybe are it's kind of worrying how many of us are um that that unfortunately of course you're going to you're going to have like a consequent drop off in progesterone that you just can't get it so like how when you're saying pcos and endometriosis and these sorts of things are, are underlying causes is it not really the truth to say actually that stress is a biological stress is the root cause because it's behind all of those as well is it totally totally and um 
I think functional medicine is all about the root cause. So you're trying to find the root, 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 root cause. Um, and I suppose the only problem with saying stress is the root cause is that that's just such a broad thing, you know, like there are so many things that cause stress to our bodies and most of them we're not really even aware of them. So things like um, not getting adequate sunlight is a stress to our body. Um, is that the root cause? Maybe it's probably mm -hmm. gonna be a root cause or, you know, like involved in that whole thing. Um, so it doesn't even have to be stress in terms of like your boss tells you you've done a bad job at work. It can be um, you didn't go out in the morning light and that didn't send a message to your brain to create melatonin at a certain time. And when you didn't create the melatonin at a certain time, then you couldn't produce another hormone at a different time. And then your sex hormones can't be produced at the right time. So it is stress, but I think it's good to just try to think about how can we re reduce that overall burden of stress and which, what are those stresses, you know, like what are they really? And so I guess um, a little bit like, oh, what's his name again? That amazing functional medicine doctor with the four pillars in the UK. Um, but, Randy, yeah, exactly. How could I forget that name? But <clears throat> a little bit like his approach. Do you take your clinic approach as being like looking at like root causes of stress as they filter into the different parts of people's lives? Or how do you approach it as a clinician? Yeah, I think... Um, well, again, functional medicine is supposed to be really individualized, so we can talk about stress globally, but it depends on the person. So maybe one person does get morning light, so that's not a stressor for them. So you really just have to talk to the person individually um, and try to assess what are the stressors for that particular person. You know, maybe their diet is incredible, um, but they have stress from a really bad relationship yeah you really have to dig into what is causing that individual stress and i think yeah my approach would definitely be similar to his um you know very holistic and looking at the whole person and not just tick 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 uh, you know vitamin d correct you know it's individual to the person um, and is it the case i wonder like when people who are coming to you are they coming to you having tried traditional things like IVF and those kinds of things and then it hasn't really worked out or they've been told like maybe the odds aren't so great and then they're going well what can I do I'm coming to you or are you finding people are using you as like a first stop and then looking at that as the next stage if they have to um I'd love it if it was the latter but usually it's the <laughs> um but interestingly I think it's becoming more that people are starting to be more open to it Lydia like uh I recently ran a workshop on fertility and some of the women were saying oh I'm not even interested in becoming pregnant immediately I just want to learn about my fertility and I want to learn about how to optimize it before the fact um but as you said I think probably the majority of the time it's when we reach a problem or an issue, then we and we and we haven't found the answers that we're looking for, then we maybe look for alternatives. And I think, thing isn't it? Because I was thinking that like that's the difference really in functional medicine, as I understand it, versus traditional medicine. Is it's like ideally we would be looking at people as this is like a preventative that we're looking at like how can we optimize our overall health so that we don't get to the stage of disease or whatever those things are where we need to come and go bring all the heavy hitters in and i think when you know if we go back even further ultimately we need to be looking at the menstrual cycle right and how is our menstrual cycle and how is that relating to our fertility and how have we been looking after and you know this is my area the area that i'm really interested in but i would love it if if those things were you know if the first port of call was people to look at like how can i live within my cycle Absolutely. And 
even not living in, in alignment with your cycle is stressful for your body and is a stress on your body. And um, in that workshop that I just gave, lots of women had been through multiple rounds of IVF or other assisted reproductive um, uh, technologies and lots of them didn't know the basics about their own menstrual cycle or their fertile window or their cervical mucus like really basic things and that's not to say they're stupid it's literally yeah. that they couldn't get that in, or nobody gave them that information and mm. if you don't know the right questions to ask or you're not aware that that information exists then how can you um optimize your chances of being fertile um and like you said Lydia I really do agree with you that living in alignment with your cycle is beneficial on just so many levels including decreasing overall stress on your body so yeah let's get that word out there I'm with you <laughs> yeah and I think yeah exactly that and it'd be nice to do kind of co-workshops where it's like the pre pre mm. <laughs> the pre pre fertility thing and 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 be feeding it through that way but I think something that I I come across a lot because I do yoga for fertility stuff so I work with women like that mm. and often I find what's happened is they got to 14 or 15 and they had acne or painful periods and they got put on the pill and they've been on the pill their whole life and now they've just come off the pill and they want to get pregnant and they're not getting pregnant but they haven't actually had like a regular cycle. menstrual cycle without any you know or you know and I think a lot of the information that gets given and what happens like we all do is people often start to just continually take the pill and just never get a period because you know it's inconvenient or mm. they're going on holiday or whatever those things are and I think we expect people to go for ages understanding that that's completely fine and normal and then suddenly bam come off the pill and suddenly like oh here we go body's ready to have a baby and it's just a big gap of, mm. of knowledge and understanding but also a big jump for your body right totally yeah and um even the pill itself can be a stressor because it can deplete certain nutrients like B vitamins mm. and other essential nutrients for fertility. Um, but then as I think maybe you're trying to suggest it's that psychological element of, we just kind of want to get rid of the cycle. Like, oh, that's a bit messy and annoying. Let's just like push that away. And then, then you have to literally learn about it for the first time. And it's kind of not too late, but it's putting pressure on yourself then in terms of time when if, if that's something that we can be learning as we grow up and all along you know I think that's definitely a huge help. And is there much knowledge about what happens as a consequence of the intervention of the pill when it's taken say for five years versus 10 years versus like 30 years do we know what actually starts to happen internally in the womb in the like and what happens in terms of the luteinizing hormone do we do we know like is there is there degrees of drop-off in terms of fertility and is that really studied? Um, as far as I know, like the research really says that there's no impact on fertility, but I would question whether the right research is being done or the right questions are being asked in the research. Um, because yeah, it depends what questions you're asking as to the answers that you'll get. Um, yes. we do know that it depletes certain nutrients that are critical for fertility and, yeah, personally, I would suggest trying to come off the pill sooner rather than later if, you know, if you do want to retain your fertility and get pregnant. And not only because of the physical effects, but also, like we were saying, the psychological effects of learning to live in a different way, which is, I think, part of fertility. And like when we look to nature, um, 
everything is a cycle and we have spring, summer, autumn, winter. And that's how I think of the menstrual cycle now. And it takes time to get into that cycle and to really appreciate what that means and how to live like that. So, yeah, I think the research is there and it says that everything is fine, but I would not be sure. Yeah. Okay. Red flags all around the place. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and, and so when, when you kind of like, like we know a lot about things like neuropeptides these days where the consequence of our emotions and our thoughts have an effect on our cellular biology, on the expression of genes, those sorts of things. Is there much work that's done around that emph emphasis when it comes to fertility? Like you're talking about living within your cycle, like having, like when we spoke to Mantuk Chia, this amazing Taoist master, and he talked about like, in this, in this really, really funny way, like you know, every, every, every month, your body's making a baby. Like your body's making a baby every month. And you're like, that's hard to, like, we don't ever take that into account. I'm not a woman. I'm not living inside a woman's body. So I don't understand what it is to, maybe, maybe women do take that into account. But I really don't feel like the culture generally accepts that, like how much like effort your body's going to be like, make me a baby, like every month for like most of your life. It's literally like that. It's like, what? Like your body is just like telling you all this stuff and you're just like blanking it all out. And even when you say the word energy, you know, your ovary, your cells in your ovary have the most mitochondria of any other part of your body, of any other cell. Like I'm making the numbers up now, but something like 200,000 mitochondria in an ovary cell and 10,000 in a heart cell. I've made those numbers up, but it's like exponentially more, yeah, exponentially more mitochondria. And that just kind of points towards where all your energy is actually going. Like that's where the energy is produced, but also, yeah, it's a huge part of our life every month. And yeah. There was a really interesting uh, article published yesterday or the day before yesterday in the Irish Times. I'm sure you saw it about an acknowledgement of a uh, drop-off in periods and amenorrhea and dysmenorrhea, uh, which has begun to be investigated as a consequence of vaccination around COVID. I know we're, we're dealing around tricky territory, so we have to be careful what we say, but that was published in the Irish Times. I'm not making any claims around it. But it's interesting that we come across things like COVID and we know that there's a hypoxic element consequent uh, from COVID, like both neur neuronally or neurologically and also like hepatically. It's interesting to think that if hypoxia was a consequence of COVID and maybe of, of the vaccine, that it would also understandably then in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a, like you're saying, in a cell that has 200,000 or more mitochondria where like oxygen is like the thing mm. that, it, that it would have a, a consequent knockoff. Are you seeing changes in your clinic in the last, you know, year or two around those types of things are you seeing anybody coming or more or less people coming in with those types of complaints are you are you asking questions there is is there much you know yeah. out, out there about it I think there is some research being done on it even in mainstream medicine now uh, like you said it was obviously I didn't actually see that article but if it's in the Irish Times then it's pretty mainstream and um but anecdotally yes lots of women are reporting changes to the menstrual cycle um which again isn't surprising because everything affects the menstrual cycle like uh i would imagine obviously the vaccine is going to affect it obviously covid is going to affect it uh the food that we eat affects it the water that we drink affects it literally everything and it's i think it's because we don't pay attention that that much to it that we 
don't realize how impacted it is by our environment and by the choices that we make every day you know and I think um I wouldn't want to just like point a finger at the vaccine to say that you know I think everything like the stress of the pandemic is going to affect it the changes that we make to our lives because of uh restrictions is going to affect our menstrual cycle every single thing affects it and that comes back to your point about cortisol um which is the stress hormone and the direct link to all of the sex hormones like it inhibits luteinizing hormone and fsh and progesterone you know it's they it's not uh like cortisol and progesterone it's like all mm. it's cycle it's literally a cycle so anything that impacts on cortisol which definitely a vaccine could and definitely an illness like covid could then you know i don't see why there wouldn't be changes to the mental cycle so i think mm. that preliminary research that's coming out it's good that people are starting to acknowledge that those things can have an impact um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Just, sorry, I just got so many questions. I could literally talk to you all afternoon. It's quite dangerous. Um, but um, when in traditional fertility treatments, like something I don't really have a window on, do they explore those causal relationships between stress and fertility? Are people given that guidance in traditional fertility clinics or, or, or not? Or is that something they have to come to you for? I think it's very minimal, if any, from my experience. Um, maybe they might just say kind of, oh, stress can have an impact. But you know that's just not enough like that doesn't go far enough um and while like sorry i don't do more advanced functional testing at the moment but because i'm more teaching in groups but there are more advanced functional tests that you can do that practitioners are doing here in ireland at the moment um that can be helpful that wouldn't be offered at your normal fertility clinic and mm. also just yeah offering like more specific advice about stress like um, how nutrient, uh, you know, nutrient depletion can impact in a stressful way on your body. Or when I gave that workshop just recently, many of the women commented on how they hadn't heard any of these things before, and they've been attending those fertility clinics for many years. You know. Wow. And so, sorry, one last one. <laughs> and so, when 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 did you start? Sorry, really bullish. When did you start waking up? To this stuff have you always been aware of this did you go through medical college going like i'm always going to be looking at functional nutrition did you like so when did it all kind of like sort of like what was your moment no so uh in the in my final obstetrics and gynecology exam i was bleeding so heavily so dysfunctionally that i bled through my pants and my white coat in my exam so at that point i definitely was not aware of my own dysfunctional menstrual cycle or health issues and then it wasn't actually until a few years later that I lived in Australia and I was working there as a doctor and I moved in with my then boyfriend who's now my husband and it was him commenting on how dysfunctional my own health was that you know it was only when I was living with him and he was like I don't think that's normal and I was like oh yeah but you know there's nothing you can do about that that's just the way it is um, there's not there's no treatment for that or that's just it um and anyway then eventually he convinced me to go to a naturopath which i did and that kind of started my whole journey into functional medicine and nutrition and wow. all the stuff that i do now yeah go your yeah. boyfriend i know boom great. great guy 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I kept him. It's so interesting, isn't it? Because I think it comes, yeah, I mean, it all comes back to that menstrual cycle thing. I mean, I never took the pill because my grandfather was kind of involved in um, insurance around it at the very beginning and he didn't like what he found. And so he kind of made all our, all the women of our family promised that we would never go and it kind of trickled down. So it was just something that I wasn't ever going to do, but I was always just kind of amazed at like, it was always, I, whilst I wouldn't have known as much about periods as I know now, I always understood it to be a marker for my health. So I would know, you know, because I was seeing the blood and I was like, is it arriving on time? And I would have tracked my period for years and, you know, is it arriving on time? Are there clots? What color is the blood? You know, am I getting cramps? How is my breast tenderness? Am I getting spots or not? How is how are my emotions coming through? All those kinds of things. They would be a thing where I'm looking at going, oh, it was a bit late this month and I didn't bleed very much, but it was kind of clotty. Okay, so I kind of need to now look at myself this month and go, what is it that I need? What can I bring in? What foods, you know, and those kinds of things. And I think it's very tricky if people are getting prescribed the pill very early and they spend ages on the pill to really develop that relationship with it. And then to come, it's it's even even further if you t like hearing you guys talk about the psychological aspect of it. I think that as women, and I'm sure you relate to this, we spend like so much of our life just living in fear of getting pregnant. And you're just being told, don't get pregnant, don't get pregnant, have sex, don't get pregnant. And you're like, okay, oh, I hope I don't get pregnant. And then suddenly it's like, and now get pregnant. And you're supposed to suddenly go like, oh, I am the goddess of pregnancy. And like, here I am all full and ripe and ready. But we've been telling our body for years, like, don't do that thing, don't do it. And that's like a massive shift in the women that I see is that they they haven't quite, they're still in the like doing, achieving, being, working, male orientated like actions and choices, but trying to expect their body to be this like goddess of femininity. And that's like a huge shift mentally and emotionally as well as physically. Mm -hmm. No, it's great, totally Lydia. And you're lucky. And I think you're probably unusual in- She's highly unusual. Yeah. <laughs> yeah she's in so many ways. Wait, in a lucky way that- In a very good way that you had that awareness from that age, you know, because I, I just think most people don't. Yeah. Mm, 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 mm. And, mm, go on, no, go on, I've had loads. <laughs> <laughs> so say, say someone was listening to this and they were going, I've tried all the things. I, I feel like I've read all the books and I'm taking the supplements and the things. What, and they came to you, what would be your, what would be the questions what would be the key questions that you would ask them for them to start looking at going oh where are the gaps here mm -hmm. um that's a good question so i suppose there's some really key things like that i still think even if they say they've had all the tests and they've read all the books i still think there are some things that they probably haven't fully done or read <laughs> Um, so like they might have heard that vitamin D is important, for example, but is their level optimal? Have they that they might it might be above normal, but is it in the optimal range? So there's a large reference range of normal um, and similar for really important ones like ferritin, which is a marker of the iron. So there's a huge reference range. Again, I'm making the numbers, but it's roughly from 14 to 800 or something like that. And you don't want it to be 15 or 16 you want it to be well up you know higher than that so maybe they'll say oh I've had my bloods checked and they're fine um but I'd just say to maybe look through your bloods and ask for the reference ranges and check at what level of the reference range your bloods are at 
And then there's other things like lots of times your, your doctor mightn't have tested for thyroid antibodies. Maybe they just test two of the more basic thyroid function tests, but antibody, thyroid antibodies are really important. Um, and then, well, it just depends, then, you know, it would be more specific. So are you actually 100% sure that you're ovulating? Do you check your temperature? Do you do, um, do you check your cervical mucus? Do you do your luteinizing hormone strips? There's little strips that you can pee on. And if you are ovulating, do you know that you have at least 11 days until your next bleed? And that would uh, relate to progesterone and whether or not you're likely to be making adequate progesterone. Um, those are some of the bigger things or like the more prominent ones, but there, again, it is quite individualized. So you'd have to just kind of go through each thing um, in, in, in line with, you know, uh, what the person's telling you about their life and, and, you know, kind of what you were trying to say, Lydia, like about making space for this change like you might think that you're ready or you really want to have a baby but is there room already in your life you know have you slowed down a bit and have you um like lots of women would say i'm exercising all the time and i'm being really healthy and uh you know maybe just like less exercise mm -hmm. and eat more food and our cultural idea of what is healthy maybe in terms of fertility is slightly off I think I think that's so true so just yeah. when I got pregnant um I remember coming this is relevant because I was just so I was just about to get married and I knew I think I was 30 or something around that when I got married and I had I we knew that we were going to try and have a baby at some point soon but probably not like immediately after but I'd, I'd spent the kind of six months up to my wedding really preparing my body for that like I was going for abdominal massage and I was having homeopathy and I was having regular acupuncture and I was taking different supplements and I was doing yoga practices and I was doing all these things because I was like I want to prepare so that when I'm there like that feels like something I'm, I'm ready for mm. and I came to your shop to buy a load of stuff before I went abroad because I got married abroad and there was a woman with a machine outside who did like weights and Heather Neeson yeah was yes. it Heather, yes, oh, Heather okay. yeah. <laughs> so there was a woman outside who I didn't know it was Heather but I know it was Heather um with a machine and she was taking body weight things and I stepped on the machine and and you know it's interesting when we think about cultural norms right because I would have thought I would have known that I was not fat but I wouldn't have thought of myself as like thin I would have thought of myself as like pretty normal I would have been a little bit heavier when I was younger and so I've always had that notion of me as being like slightly heavier in my head um whether that's like realistic or not that's that's how I felt like I was pretty normal and standard and I was kind of a bit nervous even standing on the machine that she was going to go oh you're, you're a little bit plump yeah, yeah, or, you know I, I wasn't sure what was going to happen and I stood on it and she was like oh yeah your BMI is like pretty low I think it was like 18 or it was like the lower side of it just on the lower side of 18 she was like actually are you thinking to get pregnant anytime soon and I was like uh, well you know at some point soonish she was like I think you should put on some weight yeah. and for me it was like what I need to put on weight like I just would never have imagined that I would have with my body type have been on the lower end of that I would have thought I was kind of big compared to all the actresses that you see and all the models that you see and the typical norm and that was really interesting to notice that now as it turned out I went on honeymoon ate loads of food and then came home pregnant <laughs> I was a little bit quicker than I was expecting like two weeks later but I, I have no doubt that I was there 
relaxed in the sunshine eating all the food mm. super chill sleeping all the time doing I was like in the ripest place ever for that but that was really a fascinating reality call for me because I think our understanding of what normal body type is is mm. so far from what actually is useful for us as women yeah and even you know that like if your body thinks that it's starving it's not going to allow you to get pregnant because it wants to protect you first mm. of your baby or your future baby. Um, so yeah, eating more food and more nutrient dense food and lots of healthy fats and protein and all the colorful veggies and maybe cutting back on your exercise a bit. I think even just something super simple like that can really make a difference for some people. I remember listening to David Wolf um, years ago talking about this, you know, David Avocado Wolf. And he was like, uh, saying like, you know, in his usual, he's like, you know, if, if you want to get pregnant, just imagine you want to be in like a glade in a tropical forest and you want to be like pulling the pomegranates and the avocados. And like, it makes sense. Like essentially you want to like, just tell your body, it's like, it's going to be fucking safe here forever. You yeah. just have, there's no threat. There's no leopards. There's all the food. Like it's just that safety thing, isn't it? Which is, I mean, really, we don't sit in safety a lot in our, I mean, we all retreat to the safety of Netflix, but that's not really sitting in the sort of safety we want, is it? No. And even that, like if you're watching Peaky Blinders, you're generating cortisol and adrenaline and, you know, like, you have to really look at your environment and be like, is this all making me feel really safe? And most of the stuff that we do isn't <laughs> like, it's just yeah. not having, you know, notifications on your phone and an Irish Times article coming through telling you something that's happening in another country that's usually awful. You know, those things impact us even when we're not consciously aware of them. So trying to yeah recreate a tropical glade that's a good uh, way of driving it yeah and I think it's interesting because I think I work a lot with women coming into birth and in birth and um, and I find that people are kind of like when I'm doing active birth workshops from around 36 weeks I'm telling them like your job now is oxytocin like it's not like a oh how nice eat some chocolate it's like no this is your job now until you give birth it's like every lovely thing that you can imagine you need to literally fill your day with it because the more oxytocin you have in your body hitting that point of labor, the easier it's going to go. So get the massage, eat the nice food, watch the lovely movies, go for the walks. And don't think of that as like you being a bit kind of lazy and indulgent. Think of it as like, this is my job to prepare for labor. And women are quite, when you tell them in that way, them and their partners are often quite ready to take that on. Then they're like, oh, that makes sense because we've got to be really careful for the baby, right? Mm -hmm. But the same thing essentially just needs to be said to women who are trying to get pregnant. And I think when you say it to women trying to get pregnant, when the baby's like a notional thing, as opposed to a physical thing, we find it a lot harder to do that for ourselves because we see it as ultimately like, well, I should just get pregnant. That's just super indulgent and ridiculous. Of course I can't. But that, like, that is the time that we need to invest, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Like the minimum really would be three months because that's how long it'll take the follicle to mature. And um, if you can give it a year to prepare, amazing. You know, that, that means you're really just replenishing all your reserves of um, what our lives take out, like what we, we don't manage to eat amazing food at every meal maybe. And then we have some stress from work and then we don't go to bed at 10, we go to bed at 11.30. And it's just all those small things just add up together. So if we can give ourselves time 
um before you know preconception that's amazing mm. and like what what I loved was when the women came to my workshop who weren't even interested in having the baby they just wanted to do that for the sake of it because they wanted to be fertile and healthy and um yeah hopefully some women are leaving aside that idea that it's maybe selfish or indulgent or um yeah I hope we're changing culturally to be more open to that I think and it's amazing because the things that women do now in their thoughts and their actions in their own body we know that it's not going to just influence their own fertility but it's going to influence the fertility of generations of children to come which is insane and that's like whatever about being intangible when they're just about to get pregnant the intangibility of, of thinking like okay what i'm doing now is literally influencing my children's children children's 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 children and how fertile they will be and you think of like what can how much can we like accept in the world of our responsibility to humanity and humankind and how we treat ourselves kindly in order to be able to let that stuff filter out it all starts to make kind of loads of sense when you like that mindset shift about kindness is is, is is such an important thing isn't it totally and you know that's at a whatever emotional level which i think is really important but even at a physical level like you're saying uh your baby will inherit the, your mitochondria so the mother's mitochondria um in some weird way that we don't fully understand yet the father's mitochondria gets wiped and uh the baby inherits the mother's mitochondria so if your mitochondria aren't healthy like you're saying um that's that's as much as your baby will get your baby won't get great loads abundant mitochondria it, it's it's um just dependent on you and how many and you you can generate more healthy mitochondria by mm. simple things like going to bed at 10 not 11 30 and um you know just exercise and nutrients and all those simple things that that we talk about but um yeah there's really interesting cat experiments over those like seven generations where they start to deplete nutrients from the mother and um you know it takes maybe seven generations for them to really have problems then uh with fertility like maybe the first generation they have one less kitten and then the next generation they have another less kitten and obviously that's a horrible experiment for the poor cats but but it's interesting and and it's hard it's hard to sit with that amount of responsibility um I don't know if you experienced that Lydia but like to know that yeah it matters what you do for the future yeah. but it's good it's because it puts us in conversation with our ancestors and also our descendants it has this very like a really important relevance particularly for now because it puts it into the whole realm of like what are we doing for the planet and all sorts of stuff. It kind of it's a, it's a nice kind of acceptance of lineage as well isn't it I and mean, you can make change now to whatever you might have inherited and and have a love a lovely downstream effect on your kids yeah i think so and i think it's also it's also about personal responsibility i think because i think we outsource the responsibility for our health so often mm. to other people and you know i had my child at he's seven and a half so i was 31 i'm going to be 40 that i don't know if that maths works up but anyway <laughs> i'm going to be 40 this year and i hang on that sounds longer but anyway essentially that's how it is and you know you're looking at going you know i plan to have other kids sooner it just didn't work out with my life but i finding myself approaching 40 and going is this a time where I feel like I have a lot to give from my body to another child if I was going to have another child and, and really wanting to sit with that going when I was 30 versus how I feel now at 40 
how is that? And that's not to say women shouldn't get pregnant now, loads of women do, but just to be cognizant now that if we are getting pregnant later and later, which we tend to be doing, we really, really do need to look at like how vital we were in our 26, when we were 26 versus how we are at 40. Oh, there's a difference, right? So then maybe we need to make more effort. And yes, I think there's, there is a, a notion where we're like, well, people have got pregnant for generations. Like my mom just got pregnant. They had 10 babies and did it. We're like, well, what age were they when they started having those babies? What stresses had they gone through? And we do actually have to just take responsibility. If we are going to wait a lot later to have babies, maybe it's going to take a lot more to get mm -hmm. pregnant. And maybe we really need to do put that effort in, you know, for our mitochondria, for all those different things, because we are literally passing that stuff onto mm -hmm. our baby and then also into our birth, right? And, and on from there. And one thing on that, there's um, Heather Leeson yesterday was on, on TV talking about the importance of choosing organic and, you know, trying to give a bit of pushback against this kind of like notion that we have, you know, uh, you know like it's just an extra kind of like lifestyle shishi thing. And she was saying there was a recent study done, which I'm sure you'll be aware of, where they found uh, in excess of 300 different chemicals, non-native chemicals in the placentas. Of, of of babies after they were after they were born and like obviously the placenta does a great job at being a gateway and a management kind of system but like that like chemical overload or the chemical soup that we kind of swim in currently you know everything from melamine in the furniture to like benzene in the exhaust fumes to like wireless wireless information technology stuff that we're all using all that sort of stuff is like a toxin exposure and i guess yeah like you're saying like taking responsibility for our health involves us having to wake up to a lot of those inputs and to start to like rebalance the scales a little bit right to like pull the seesaw back in the other direction and make like you're saying if you're going to be older doing it like a lot more effort than you would have had to do in your 20s when you didn't have all that exposure as well right? and also if you're looking back generations where they didn't have that exposure so if mm. we're comparing ourselves to our parents or our parents parents how much of those chemicals were they exposed to? And if they were getting pregnant much younger, how many years less of the exposure to the less chemicals mm. were they having than us now, right? Yeah. yeah, no, massively. And like even that, you know, that idea that your furniture is poisoning you. I mean, that's for some people just too, like they can't go there, you know, or it's, it's too inconvenient as well. It's inconvenient to have to think about um, every single thing that you're exposing yourself to uh and it's also kind of sad and depressing to start to think about what we're doing to the planet and our bodies um so there's a whole it's not just like easy or something it's not just yeah. easy to do to you have to say no to lots of things that you've become accustomed to or that you like um and i think for a lot of people that's maybe the hard part maybe some people do have the knowledge or the awareness but but it's actually hard it's hard to change what you're doing change. Change. Mm. Oh, yeah. yeah yeah and i think though it, it is absolutely and and at the same time it's the change we have to make if we want there to be a planet for our children that we're planning to have so that's one thing but also having a baby is a massive change right and all of i always think that pregnancy and like insomnia and pregnancy and birth and all those things they prepare us for those changes that we're going to go through and change is always uncomfortable mm. it just is that's how it is but it's also the one permanent thing in life is that there is always going to be change and so in a way i think if we can if we can approach it with that mindset if, if we can even be given the tools by someone like you with the information the seeds let's say to even start to go like oh this is the start of a whole shift mm. towards looking at like what are my children inheriting 
in the in the broader in the global sense as well as in that micro sense and like oh this is an exciting set of changes that i'm moving into this shift that's better for everyone for the planet and for my baby rather than thinking of it as like a lack thing totally and i think the, the, the very first easiest way to do that is to get in touch with your menstrual cycle because that is it that is that lesson it's that you're not always ovulating there's only one day when you're ovulating and the rest you have to that's the pinnacle it's so beautiful you feel so happy you're so attractive and but, but you can't stay there forever you have to just keep changing through the cycle and accept whichever part you're at and take the benefit of whichever part you're at and I think yeah it's just starting to learn to live in that different way of always being prepared to change and always being prepared to flow into the next part of your life um yeah which hopefully will have a baby for you if if uh fertility is is what you're you know it's what you want and what you want to um focus on now so where if people want to find you if they're interested in doing a course with you or working one-to-one -one with you or however that is where do they find you as the best place um i have a very bad website called <laughs> which i need to work on and i'm mostly on on instagram and that's dr sarah hunt as well uh, d-r-s-a-r-a-h-u-n-t and mm. yeah i've got a group of women that I'm working with over a six month period and we're exploring all the topics that we're discussing tonight really it's not specific to fertility but some of the women are there to learn about fertility and yeah we just learn about how we can make those changes in our lives and um learning together about planetary health our own health yeah cool inside out and outside in very good thank you like very it. much yeah that's right up our streets great okay well hopefully um some people will be listening to this who will get real help and guidance i think you've been you've given us so much to, to think about so thank you so much for that uh just remains for us to say thank you for to our sponsors uh clear light saunas and uh, really really excited for those of you who are interested like we were talking about at the start interested in light therapy and how much that wakes up our mitochondria and does some very interesting things uh an infrared sauna might be for you if it is come and talk to us we'll get you discounts all that sort of fun stuff um but yeah the main thing thank you so much sarah that's been great i've, I've learned so much and, and we've got so much to learn from there so um take care and see you soon and also please oh. if everyone can just like and subscribe yes. and comment because those things really matter and we've been really rubbish at telling people to do them mm, like that <laughs> and then i'm there. thinking that it just doesn't really matter but it does it matter really matters. and we want to continue having these conversations but more importantly we want to have them and get them out to a broader audience yeah. so we really need that like subscribe comment thingy please yeah. do that for us yeah, yeah, yeah. um and yeah, we will see you again soon. Very All exciting. Right. Thanks so much. Cheers, Bye. Sarah. Thanks for having me.